Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. As I told you last week, our Season 11 case has been selected, and I'm in the process of preparing for the premiere. I'm in direct communication with the convicted's legal team, and our volunteer organizational team is hard at work as we speak getting all the documents in order. As of right now, assuming that the schedule goes as planned and all the interviews get scheduled and completed on time, I'm planning for the launch of Season 11 in about three weeks on October 3rd. In the meantime, over the next few weeks, I have some very interesting interviews for you. Today's guest is a working public defender who also happens to have binged through Season 10 in less than two weeks' time. He's here today to help give us all a little better perspective on what it's really like to be a public defender. Please welcome attorney Chris P. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I am joined today actually in the studio by a, a legit and actual real world public defender. Uh, his name, we're, we're going with Chris P is, is his name. Uh, Chris, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you coming in on Labor Day. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Chris is, um, he's a, a friend of Zach's and uh, Zach reached out to me and said, hey, this guy's a public defender and he's been, he's listening to the show. And uh, he might be a good interview to talk about um, some of the ins and outs of the of the public defender world and the criminal justice system. Uh, we've been chatting for a little bit outside, and I'm just I'm already enthralled with uh, with the work you do and some of the stories you've already told me just for, for being out there. Like what a, what a crazy system you work in. It it is, and it's um, uh, you know as I was telling you outside, I think the 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 change in the system is coming. Um, I think there's been, uh, at least for Michigan, there's been, uh, we work under the Michigan Indigent Defense Council and that's where we get our funding. And it's, I think it's balancing the scales or at least it's starting to balance the scales against, you know, the people in the state. So what do you mean by balancing the scales? You feel like there, yeah, I, I had said in a couple episodes ago that I really feel like the, the presumption of innocence is kind of a fallacy and the prosecution from my perspective, of course I work in wrongful convictions, but from my perspective, it always seems like the state is given all these advantages because they're supposed to be the underdog, but it's never really seemed that way to me. 
And it's not. If you think about it, they have, the, the state has an abundance of resources. They have the arresting agencies. They have, um, I know, some um, prosecutor's offices, they have their own investigators. You know, there's nothing to prevent a prosecutor from calling an arresting agency and saying, hey, you sent me this information, you know, for a warrant. Uh, I've got some questions. It's not quite what I'm looking for I, or I need more. Can you go out and do this, this, and this, right, mm-hmm. to prove my whatever the case is? You know, or they, like I said, they'll have investigators on their own staff uh, to do that. But in my experience, it's a we're going to throw everything against the wall, see what sticks, and then we're going to put it on the whoever the defense attorney is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the position we're in, at least in the office I work in. But we like for my position, we have, as I was telling you, we have 17 full time attorneys, we have three investigators, we have uh, two social workers, um, or we're getting a second social worker. So, so we have like a holistic approach to dealing with our clients but the 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 presumption that the people are at a disadvantage is uh it's hooey yes <laughs> it's it's hooey yeah so and and what you were just describing the way the the county that you work in that is set up that way that's new right i mean it yeah well, it's been newer. it's newer it's uh been the last four or five years i've been um i'll be two years in my particular office this coming december Mm-hmm. And it's been, you know, we've added, you know, we've added attorneys and, you know, social workers since I've been there. Well, it's good they're taking steps to move forward. I guess I should ask you, like, what is, so what is your background? How long have you been, been an attorney? So I've been, uh, I've been a licensed attorney since 2000, I got to think about when I passed the, so 2013. So I've, about eight years I've been licensed. My journey, my journey has been a little weird. So I was, I was a solo practicing attorney in central Michigan for about a year after I passed. I hung my own shingle out for a while. Um, my wife and I wanted to start a family, and I was, it's hanging your own shingles hard. So yeah. I, I actually suspended my practice and went and worked as a structural welder uh, for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. And then my wife's company, she works in uh, insurance underwriting for doctors. Uh-huh. So they moved, they, they promoted her, moved us to the Washington, D.C. metro area. So we moved down there. I waved into the DC bar, but they lost my application for 16 months. So I was at home playing Mr. Mom because I couldn't work because I uh-huh. didn't have a law license. So then we're there for about four years. I'm, I got my master's in athletic administration, did some other things, was coaching hockey. And then I'll try to make this as short as I can. So I was in Tampa working to send money back to my family. I got contacted with my this job through a friend of mine who used to work for the person who ran the office, uh-huh. interviewed for the job, moved up here, and that's how I'm here. Okay. So I've, been, I've practiced probably about three, maybe four years, but even though I've been, I've had an active license that entire time. So you, and you've been in this job for, you said, about two years? It'll be two years this December, yeah. Okay. As we were talking before, and we've said a lot on, the, on this, this podcast, it, it, public defenders get a bad rap, especially, you know, a lot of the cases that that I work in the wrongful conviction space. A lot of times we see a client, you know, Jennifer Jeffley, for example, the, the case we just finished, she was working with the public defender. And I do see a lot of times where it seems like they could have done so much more, but I think what people don't give credit to is the workload and the caseload and, and the, the lack of resources. So can you, you speak to a little bit about, you know, what are the the disadvantages to a public defender? Like from your perspective, like what challenges do you have that maybe a private attorney may not have? So, private attorneys, their clients obviously can pay for their services, right? And uh-huh. that that would include if a private attorney needed an investigator to 
investigate whatever the case is, whether it's, you know, a domestic violence case, um, CSC, which is criminal sexual conduct, whatever, you know, they, those, those clients can afford those services through that attorney and that attorney can make that, that distinction. Now, when you go to a public defender's office, as I said, our office is kind of, it's new. So it's, we're, you know, we have a lot of resources that, like listening to the Jeffley case, if, you know, 25 years ago, the public defense, I felt bad for him because, you know, I think we, you mentioned it is, you know, previously, you know, he thought I was going to plead out and, you know, didn't right. do a whole lot of work on it. But like 25 years ago, I would imagine in a public defender's office, that setting, you're your own attorney, legal assistant, researcher, and investigator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your caseload could, and again, this is a smaller county. Harris County is a large metro area. I can't fathom what his caseload was probably like. I mean, right. you know, I'm, I get overwhelmed sometimes when my caseload is, you know, approaching 150, 200. So, but you're managing paperwork at that point. So you're, you're trying to just keep on top of everything to the minimum that you can. And then you get thrown a case like, you know, Jeffley, it's like, oh shit, I've actually got to try to, you know, this is capital murder. Right. right. So it's the, the disadvantage for a public defender, generally speaking, is it's managing caseload versus trying to distinguish which cases actually need attention. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the clients that I get, they come in and like like I told you before, I'm handling like a lot of lower level stuff, right? You know, domestic you know domestic violence first, uh, dr- you know, driving without license, um, retail fraud, that kind of thing. Nothing as serious as like capital murder at this point, right? But you get enough of those, right? It overwhelms you, and then you have to figure out, okay, which cases do I think are actually going to trial? Where do I think the client's actually innocent? And it gets stressful. So it's it's really managed, you know. And there's only so many hours in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you, it burns out, you get burned out at some point. So like, I mean, that's, the, that's the disadvantage is that, you know, most public defenders, I don't think until recently, at least for this state, they didn't have access to investigators, social workers, um, you know, colleagues where they could bounce off ideas off of, right. Mm-hmm. Because they're managing their own caseload. Yeah. I can. So when you, when you have, you said some 150, 200 cases, like what is it, what does a day look like? For public, when you go into the office and you've got two hundred cases sitting, like, like, how do you manage that? Well, they're not, so they're not all. At the, they're not two hundred cases on the same day, right? right? So, but it's you have to you have to factor in things like you know motion deadlines, and you know, like so. The, typically, like let's say on a judges will keep that they have they do their own things on certain days. So, like for example, one judge on a Monday, it could be his miscellaneous day, right, where it's uh-huh. probation violations, sentencings. Um, you know, and then they'll throw in, you know, the, like they'll handle civil infractions or, you know, tickets, that kind of thing. So most days, um, I'll, the first part of the morning is spent in court, whether it's, uh-huh. you know, pre-trial status conference, uh, preliminary conference, uh, pre-exam conference with the prosecutor. Um, and then you get into exams, which are, there's a distinguishment between misdemeanors and felonies, right? So, so that's the first half of the day, right? So I'll right. get in at, you know, I try to get in earlier than later. You know, I've, got a kid and I've got to manage her getting to school and all that stuff with my wife. Right. So I'll get in, I'll try to get in like 7.30 to 8, court starts at 8.30. That'll typically go until, sometimes it's pretty quick, 10.30, 11, sometimes it's noon. Go to lunch, come back, and then it's, okay, now what do I have to, do I have clients for tomorrow that I have to call? Do I have, you know, what are my motion deadlines? And then you throw the pandemic into all this, right? Uh We've also become Zoom internet administrators trying to get clients figured out on zoom for right. whether it's you know usually it's like you know pre-trials or other certain like the 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 court sent out a memo about what things are through zoom and what things are in person 
And then you have to distinguish that and then try to get a hold of the client, which is not always easy because you don't always have a phone number that works or they won't Mm -hmm. answer their email. So that'll be part of the afternoon when I get back. And then, you know, it's like, now I can actually look at my cases. I'll talk with my investigators. What cases do I have that are open where, you know, you know, I'll talk with my investigator, where, where are we at with, you know, this client on this case? Mm -hmm. And then you start it all over again. Because you got, because all those, all those court appearances you have the next morning, you have to prep for all those. If you have them. Yeah. I mean, we'll get, we'll get off some days you get, you know, you'll fall where it's like you have an office day and those are like gold, right? I'm Uh in, you know, working whatever I've got. Right. And it's, am I organizing my files? Am I following up with the investigator? Do I have motions to file? That kind of thing. Or, you know, if you have a day off, sometimes you have to do arraignment, which is an all day thing. Also, you go to the jail first thing in the morning, you interview anywhere between sometimes you have a light day where it's like eight people who need to be arraigned. And then like, I'm sorry for the person who has arraignment tomorrow because it's a long weekend could be, you know, could be light, could be 10, could be 35. Uh And then you got to go to the jail, talk to all them, get basic information. Are they pleading guilty or not guilty? Are they, is it a felony where they're automatically going to have a not guilty plea? Explain to them their rights. Most importantly, try to get them to shut up. Do not say a damn word. Right. Because, you know, people have the right to remain silent. They don't have the ability. And it gets them into mm-hmm. more trouble than, you know, than not. And this is kind of where, kind of going to, you know, Jeff Lee's appellate attorney, I'm kind of sympathetic with him because it's, uh-huh. I know it would be helpful, right, if we could talk to her, but that didn't really go well the first time for her either. Right. So it's not at like, all. you know, yeah. it's like you got you to gotta be quiet. But that's, I mean, that that kind of gives you like a blueprint for what a week looks like, right? For any, you know, any defender in our office. I can't, I, I can't imagine how like managing, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, it's see, I, I think you said you're managing paperwork is the way you put it. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not always like that. Again, yeah. there were, there, there are elements that play, you know, whether, you know, you get, you know, staffing issues, scheduling issues, that kind of thing. So there, there are times where all you feel like is you're managing paperwork, uh-huh. right? And but you just you do the best you can, and right. then you know you'll know which cases really need your attention, right? And I was you know talking. There are some cases that I have now. They have my they have my attention, right? right? And I'm on top of them, you know. And again, handling lower level stuff where it's you know what I call administrative crimes, right? You know, driving without a license. Right. Uh-huh. It's that's it's technically a misdemeanor right now. I think the law is changing next month where mm. it'll be down to a civil infraction, which is what it should be anyway. Right. But, you know, and that's what gets a lot of, you know, that that takes up a lot because it's you still got to handle it. You got to call the client, tell them what their options are, what, you know, what the mm-hmm. you know, then you have to communicate plea offers. And then we don't get those. We're obligated to communicate anything. Right. So right. it's you know, we don't have to tell the client this is what you have to do. But I am I'm ethically obligated. Any plea offer that comes in, I have to tell you what it is, go, you know, review it with the client and then it's their case, right? I work Uh for the client. So I'll, you know, I try to give them as much information as I can to make an informed decision. And then they'll be like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that or I don't quite understand it. And then I won't get those offers until like a day or two before the pretrial or exam date. And then I've got to go back, track all that, make sure those are into the client before mm-hmm. that day and then and sometime and then of course it's been comp it's been you know complicated because of the pandemic so we don't get to meet back in the old day before the pandemic came we would meet everybody in court we could review the offer with them you know in person mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to do on the phone and you don't really your message doesn't always get across so it's a lot of variables that you know kind of play into that it just it just seems so hard to really 
focus a lot of attention on any one case when you know you've got so many, you know, even if you've got five cases that are going before a judge the next day or 10 or whatever it is that all of those require paperwork and phone calls and visits and zooms. And it's, it's, I, I, I admire the shit out of anybody that is a public defender at the same time. I feel terrible for them because, because like just from talking to you, I could tell before we came in here that you're very impassioned about what you're doing. Like, like you care about your clients and you want to do the absolute best you can for them. But it's, it's, it's like you said, there's only enough hours in the day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How long do you want to continue being a public defender before you move on to something else? Like, is this, are you in your dream job right now or? And I don't know if it would be my dream job. I mean, it's you... The way I the way I'm approaching it is I'll be doing this until I think opportunities will present themselves when they're supposed to, right? Uh-huh. It's I'm not really a I, like I consider myself blessed to have gotten this opportunity because uh-huh. it was you know it was hard when I was you know in Maryland being Mister I wasn't working I wasn't doing what I knew I could do to help people, right? So like I'm not looking at like I love I love what I do I love the people I work with I love the area I live in you know I, it's so I'm not I'm not the kind of person where I'm going to go look for an opportunity when an opportunity may present itself here at a later time. So like, I don't, you know, and I think that would put too many, I think that would put restrictions on, like, if I said, okay, this is what I want to do X amount of years from now. Right. Then it's kind of like I'm putting myself in a box. Right. Mm -hmm. And any number of opportunities could open before then. So, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I'd like to be a judge at some point. I think I would be able to like approach that fairly. Like in my office, we're in, we're, and I, I guess I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for everybody in my office. I'm in what actually happened. You know, if, if my client is in fact guilty, right, uh-huh. of something, right, okay, then my job becomes, okay, well, what kind of deal can I get for them, right? Mm-hmm. And if, but if there's like an actual question of fact, right, it's like, you know, and I was explaining, you know, some of the circumstances I was dealing with out there, right, then no, we need to find out what the hell is actually going on here. And I'm not just going to, you know, serve up my client because it's, the most convenient to push paperwork through the system. Right. Right. So, and I think that's, that's important. So like, I mean, kind of circle back to your original question. I'll do this as long as I think I'm of, you know, I'm doing good for the clients that are coming in. And I think I kind of have a responsibility to kind of lay the groundwork for people that are coming up behind me Mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't have to go through some of the trials and tribulations that my office and my colleagues are going through now. So you're not you're not miserable in the job you're doing. You you find it seems like you find it fulfilling when you when you have the opportunity to get those wins. Yeah. No, it's it's now some day some days can be miserable, right? Uh-huh. Because it's, you know, I'll feel 
you know, I know there were a few weeks where I was just overwhelmed, right? And it's like I knew, I felt I was not doing the best that I know I'm capable of, but it was because of factors that I had absolutely no control over, right? Uh-huh. So, and, and so you just, you, you, you bear down, you do the best you can, right? And if you got to work those later hours, you work those later hours, knowing that it's not going to be that way forever, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this job, it can be high stress, but you got to be able to walk away from it. Like, you know, I know, I, I know some pro, you know, public defenders where it's, it's their life. They eat, breathe, sleep it, you know, all day. And some people can do that. I'm not one of them. Like, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of other interests and, you know, I've got a family and, you know, it's, I want to give them time and I leave my work where it is. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's a balancing act. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilled with the work I've done because I know there's a lot of people that have been wrongly accused where I've exposed it, right. And got the case dismissed or I, you know, I was, you know, I, I assisted a trial, you know, trials getting them exonerated, you know. Uh-huh. You know, and then helping people that do not have a lot of money, they don't understand what the law is, they don't understand what their rights are, right? And just make, helping them try to make the best informed decisions that that they can with the information that hopefully I can explain to them. And I think it's an important part because a lot of people don't know what their rights are. It's mm-hmm. mind blowing that they don't, you know, they you know, have the right to remain silent. They don't know that they're innocent until proven, you know, presumed innocent until proven sure. guilty. Yeah, hypothetically, right? I mean, well, that, that's one thing, I, and I don't know how you fix it, but it, I wish there was a way, and there probably is a way, but don't if anybody would ever do it to require those rights to be made more clear. I mean, Miranda, when police were started being required to issue Miranda warnings, that was a huge win, right? That you they had to when they started to have to tell you that you have these rights. But then what, they, what they're still doing, what I've seen in case after case is, so they might tell you, you have a right to remain silent. You don't have to speak. You, these are your rights. So I, a great example is Jason Baldwin. So in the, the West Memphis 3 case. And you know, he was one where they, they told him he had the rights. And then, they, and then they gave him a card to sign off on that he heard his rights. And then immediately presented him with a form to waive his rights. You, you know, you hear, mm-hmm. if you sign here, you can waive these rights and then we can have a conversation. Then he was the only one out of the three that wouldn't do it. He's like, no, I'm not talking to you without an attorney. And, and which to his defense, which I want to get into too, you know, one of the big disadvantages you mentioned is, is, you know, indigent, lower income folks have the biggest disadvantage coming into the system more so than anyone else. And he, and he fit that category, but for some reason, when the, it clicked with him that, oh, they're telling me that. I don't have to talk and that I can have an attorney, so I'm not going to, and kept refusing to sign it. And they kept over and over and over trying to convince him to break his rights. And that's the stuff that I would, and actually in his case, he never did. And then 25 years later, there's still people that are, that are case enthusiasts in that, in that case that still, you know, point to that as, as I've had people pointed out to me as an indication of his guilt that look, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even talk to them. Look, he wouldn't sign off on his rights. Yeah, that's what everyone should do. Yeah, no, it's that's just constitutional right, right. And then you know that it's it's been kind of twisted where it's like, well, he he's he's actually invoking his rights, so he must have something to hide. It's right. Like, no, how many times have we seen, you know, people where and you know uh, the Jeffley case is kind of a good and, and Jeffley is the one that I've kind of come in on right with the right. podcast. So you know, looking over what you know the detectives did is that you know they will twist and manipulate and and again I'm just to be clear. I am like not anti-police. I'm, you know, I've got law enforcement in my family. I'm pro-police. It's just do your job better, right? And uh-huh. do it constitutionally. 
So, but they'll, you know, there are cops out there and, you know, law enforcement, they will twist and manipulate and make it look like, well, you're hiding something if you don't want to cooperate with us. It's right. like, no, I, I've seen this, I've seen this movie before. You're, I'm going to talk to you. Right. It's going to, in my mind, I haven't done anything wrong and you're going to twist it and then start making me believe that, oh my God, maybe I did do something wrong. And then I'm in, you know, in a courtroom and it's like, holy shit, how did I get here? Right. Like, no, just shut up. Lawyers spend a lot of money to learn how to talk professionally, mm -hmm. right? And know what, you know, what they're trying to do and, you know, what the end goal is. And our job is to protect them from that exact thing happening. You know, don't let the police or whoever try to twist, manipulate, you know, what you're telling them is the truth and morph it into something that isn't. See Jeffley. And, right. You know, so it's, you know, that's especially 15, mm -hmm. you know. So th that's, I think there has to be an attitude change about that as well, right? As if, you know, once, once, you know, Miranda, you have the right to remain silent, you have the right to an attorney, I invoke, that's mm -hmm. it, right? And you can't, don't hold that again. It's, they're protecting themselves because you got, again, you talk about public defenders getting a bad rep, cops get a bad rep because of things like the, you know, the two from the Jeffley case. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. And they, and that's the part that drives me, like it, it's, there should be something, especially with juveniles. Where they 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 cannot be allowed to try to convince you, and it it's seen. Have you ever watched the show on? I, I've I actually love the show because I'm I'm really big into behavior analysis and 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 uh, statement analysis. But the show is called Criminal Confessions, and each one is a real case where they have you know they 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 always have a video of like the interrogation process of everyone where they, where they always end up getting a confession out of people. And I watch I watch it every time, and, and it's, it's fascinating for me to watch. But it's like, shut up! Like, why? Why every every one of them? And you can watch the cops talking, and everybody's the way these shows are produced. Everybody's rooting for the cops, right? They're like, God, he's 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 saying he wants an attorney. Like, oh, uh, you know, if we don't if we don't convince him to keep talking to us without an attorney, we're fucked. But then they as in they go in and you watch them one after another. It's like, listen, man, like, what do you got to hide? If you're innocent, we're just trying to help you. Don't you? Know, you're going to look terrible if you like. They should not be able. To do that, they they it works with adults. It definitely works with kids all the time, and they end up waiving their rights. I had, I had an attorney tell me one time, this you know that that how the, how did she put it? She said, "Oh, no one can twist a word that you didn't say." And everybody thinks that they can, you know, especially innocent people. Well, if I just explain myself, I'll get out of this. But yeah, like, and that that'll get you into more trouble than anything, right? Mm -hmm. And that's you know. Uh, when I like I, when I when I was talking about doing Raymond, right? One of the things I tell you know I tell they'll they'll all be in a big cell, right? I'm like uh -huh. this is I'm here to do this. This is what I do, and I say I'm about to give you fifty dollars worth of free legal advice. You have the right to remain silent. Exercise it. Don't uh -huh. talk to anybody about your case. It's you know whether or not they follow it at that point is up to them because I don't technically represent them at that point. Right. Right. But nothing will get you into more trouble than thinking you on your own can talk your way out of being a suspect. Right. Mm -hmm. at, or, you know, a person of interest, whatever kind of, you know, label you want to put on it. You know, it, it's, you wouldn't believe how many cases I've had where, you know, they, they think that they can talk their way out of it. Right. Where it's, you know, like domestic violence is like the biggest example where it's like, well, I, you know, we got, we just got into an argument and I just, I just kind of pushed her away from me. Right. It's like, well, that's textbook, that, that's domestic violence. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, you're dating. And you push you you uh, technically battered her. You put her your hand on her face and pushed you away. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you. That's ninety three days. Mm -hmm. You can explain. You can try to explain whatever. Right um, now, you might have a defense, you know, self defense or something like that. But if the police hear those two things, right, 
you're you're going to count. You admit it that you put your hands on her. You're going to the county, and the judge will be in on Monday. I, you know, yeah, it's 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 so hard. Like I wish people were more that like everyone was more educated in this. And I think the biggest thing is people really don't understand. Regardless, like we get into juries and and what happens in the courtroom, but just on the street that. You don't have to, that the police have to prove that you did this. They have to present probable cause that you did this before they can, they can arrest you. So if you, so if you just shut up and don't let them, don't talk, don't let them search anything without a warrant and let them try to prove a case against you, you're so much better off than, than giving them something to work with. You know, it's right outside that door in that in that uh, bookshelf right there is is the re-technique handbook. And when you go through that handbook, it talks about this stair step process. Like it's like, okay, all I gotta do is is, you know, first let me just get you in the door. You know, we'll talk around and get you to if I can get you to admit that you were in the door. Now once you're in the door, you're stuck there. And then if I can get you to admit that that oh maybe there was an argument. It's like now you can't back up. We just take one more step. Now you're in the door and you had an argument and they just Keep until they get you to a point where you can't get out of it, and then that's when they attack and mm-hmm. try to get their confession. Yeah, they just they 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 will use the techniques, right? They'll box you in, right? And it's like mm-hmm. you said, you know, if I, I just I need if I can start here, right? Get you mm-hmm. in the door, you know, get you in the door. Okay, now I've now I've got you nailed. Now what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And then it's then that's when the oh shit moment ha- happens, right? And it's like oh crap, uh, I need help, right? And then you know we you know it'll be assigned to somebody in our office, and we do what we can to, you know, dissect it, right? It's like, come on, dude, it's bullshit. And you know it's bullshit. But you got to work with the fact that they've now admitted that they were at the crime scene, that they, whatever. Right. Well, because it's, <laughs> what happens is they, they, you know, again, it's their 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 whole their whole thought process, right, is, okay, I just want to go home. So mm-hmm. if I'm cooperative, right, they'll be nice. And again, see Jeff Lee, right? Right. I just want to go home. If I'm cooperative, I'll, you know, but then it's like, well, not not quite. You know, we're now now we you've given us something where we think we can arrest you on, and it's like, what, right? right? And then, you know, it's like they don't want to have to go through the process, right? But if you go through the process, having not said, you're going to go through the process, mm-hmm. right? There's no way, right? If you're if you're in X place at X event, and the police can look at you, right? You're going to go through the system. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of how much are you going to give them to use against you going through the system. The right. less, the better, right? Shut up. Just, you know, let us, we'll, we'll, you know, our office will deal. If, if you haven't said anything, it is so much easier for us to go through a file because if you open your mouth, right, and say something that can be at least seen as incriminating, then we have to figure out how to untwist that, mm-hmm. preferably without you taking the stand, assuming it's going to go to a trial, right. right? And then if it's going to go to the trial, then it's like, well, crap. We our strategy, you know. Depend again. It's it. It may or may not be the strategy, but more times than not, we're gonna have to put you on the stand, right? And have you try to re-explain, you know, explain away what you said, and then, oh, by the way, the prosecutor is gonna get their bite, of, you know, get a bite out of your ass as well. Yeah, and, and, you, and, and it can the go, last thing you want to do is put them on the stand, and it can go south so fast, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there are clients who, you know, we've we've put on the stand for you know self defense purposes, right? For you know, again, low This is not not capital murder, you know, domestic violence type right. stuff. Some clients will do better than others on the stand, right? And we have to gauge. It's like, well, can I, can I really put them on, right, mm-hmm. without making things worse, right? And then, you know, if, if at least for me, if I determine I can't really put them on the stand, right, then it's like, ugh, I don't, you know, I, what, where do I go, right? Yeah. What else can I dig up to help my case without having to put them on the stand? But it's it puts us in a very vulnerable position because our defense is then based on 
having you testify, right? Yeah. Well, and then you're, and I think that's where it comes into where the jury is. The jury's at a bit of a disadvantage because of, I think, their ignorance or their the fact that they ignore what the actual standards are. Because, you know, if you have, especially I would think if you have some sort of incriminating statement, that they want to see you explain it. And I, and I've, I said, I've, I've sat in, uh, in Michigan, do, the, do we say voir dire, voir dire? I've worked, I've heard it. Uh, voir dire. Yeah. That's voir-dire. how I pronounced it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've sat in voir dire for, for trials, uh, on a multiple, I don't know why I, I'm like, my wife's been called for jury duty once in the 10 years we've been together. And I've Lucky. been called for five. <laughs> yeah. I've been called five times and have sat on two trials. I don't know why I always, I always get it. I had a similar circumstance in North Carolina. I got called like three times in two years while I was in law school. Like, I, like, right. can you draw from a larger, you know? Yeah, there's got to be a bigger pool of people to right. pull from. Uh, but I just listen to these. You know, the, the defense attorney will often ask because they're not planning on putting their client on the stand. Do you understand that it is the state's burden of proof, and my client does not have to defend himself? It is not his job to prove his, that he's innocent. It's their job to prove he's guilty. And then the jurors, one after another, will answer. It's like, well, I would think that if you're innocent, you'd want to defend yourself. Because, you know, I've seen that on TV. The, the defendant always gets on the stand and explains their case. And they always, they always trip up the prosecutor. I, I, I've seen how it works. Yeah, I've seen jurors answer that way. And I, my uh-huh. thought in the back of my head is, God help you if you ever get accused of a crime. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you're the one sitting here, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're going to be like, well, wait a minute. It, it's, you know, th- that's, that approach is very, um, you know, move to North Korea. Uh, they would love to have you as a juror there. Right. right? Yeah. It's, you know, the, you know the, w- somewhere where, you know, they don't have, you know, the same rights that we have. Right. And it's, we have like, we have canned questions um, for, for dear, you know, basic, like, like you're talking about, you understand yeah. that my client as he sits here is innocent until the state proves him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt as decided by you. Right. And right. Then, you know, some other basics. Right. And we make sure we try to vet all those at the very beginning. Uh-huh. Right. Um, I was kind of surprised. You said that the, 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 uh, uh, I think you were talking about an attorney ran out of challenges. Right. But I'm sitting there going, that would probably be a four. I would argue that's a four cause. Yeah. However- dismissal. Yeah. However it was, they were, and I guess, I guess maybe I presume they ran out of peremptory strikes, but it was, it was late into the process. And it said one after another, there were, there were jurors that, that were saying, like, I would just think the, the response was tended to be the same that I, like, I just feel like if someone's innocent, that they would want to defend themselves. And they, and he removed several jurors that potential jurors that said that, but then it, towards the end, three or four stayed on the jury that, said that I would, th- you know, I feel like they should defend themselves. And it may have been a follow-up question. Well, well can you put that aside? Yeah, you know, they right, say I right, can right. or whatever it is. But yeah, it's just, it, it, it always makes me wonder. I think a lot, like the Jeffley case is really just haunting me right now. Obviously, I'm just wrapping it up and I'm just kind of frustrated that we didn't get further with it. But then I think, what if Coyne, the defense attorney, did have all the facts? And did do a great, what if he did what we did, right? And, and broke down why the confession is false. Could he convince the jury? And I, and I wonder that, and I almost, and the more I think about it, I almost doubt it. So they have her confession. If you don't put Jennifer on the stand, but you can show through actual evidence that the confession is false, would that be enough? Or would the jury be just too hung up on the fact that she didn't get on the stand and explain that it was false? I. That's why voir dire is so important, right? Uh-huh. And see, and again, this is 25 years ago. I don't know coin, right? I don't know. I, I think, you know, you're 
how you present yourself in court, like you're confident. I mean, the, the non, the, um, subjective things do go, go very far in courtroom, uh-huh. right? How you present yourself, how confident you are, even if you know that your case is not a winner, right? Mm-hmm. You can still get a long way with, you know, how you present yourself. But again, I didn't get an opportunity to look into the, the transcript as much as I wanted to on, and the questions that he posed versus what the physical evidence showed. However, I, think there would have been some ways to poke holes in it's a weird position because you're trying to you're trying to show the jury it's a juxtaposition right you're trying to show the jury that my client lied right, right. but didn't commit you know wasn't you know party to felony murder so right. it's a, it's a very i feel horrible for him because he's put he's put he's in an impossible position or mm-hmm. an almost impossible position if you have the right jury, right and you you can look at their body language based on the answers they give to whatever voir dire questions you have or whatever is it impossible? No. Difficult? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, I mean, there was, you know, inconsistencies about what you point out, you know, the pot was thrown after the, like, you know, you said, I think it was the last episode, you know, it yeah. was the final FU, right? Right. Thrown in on top of her head. Okay. So, but that Jen's testimony um, doesn't relate to any of that. Right. Right. And it's like the, 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 you should be able to have, the, the statement should at least corroborate what the physical evidence shows. Right. And then, but the prosecutor and the detective, it's just, well, we're just going to twist everything around this statement because we've made you make three or six or whatever until right. we get what we want and just don't look over there, look over here. Right. Yeah. So I guess to answer the question, is it possible? Yeah, maybe, but it's, it's a daunting task. It's a tough road to hoe for oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Because I mean, how do you, it's, you got to be, you have to put a lot of trust into a jury saying, my client's a liar. Right. But, she wasn't party to this murder, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I, I would imagine at least one juror is pulling the cocker spaniel head, right? What? You know, mm-hmm. she's lying, but she's not guilty. Hey, how does that compute? Yeah, I think, I think, I think best you could probably hope for is, it, I was going to say hung jury, but I, I'm, I'm just thinking back to little things like, like the pot and the dirt and stuff like that. That was something that, that I, you know, uh, picked up while I, like mid interview with Jim Clemente when he was doing the, the profile, when I realized when they moved the body that there's this perfect imprint of the dirt and the clean carpet under the body. And it, yeah, and it just, it just, it just changes the, the dynamic and the outlook of the whole thing. And it was like something that I feel like is missing, not, and not even just with public defenders. I've seen it in other cases too with very high paid private attorneys. Where one thing they don't do, especially in these like murder cases, is to like, do a proper crime scene invest like reconstruction, you know, to understand what happened. And in this case, that was critically important. And Coyne didn't touch on any of it. He never went into anything to do with how exactly the crime was committed. And I and, and I feel it, it has to be a, a, a matter of the fact. I personally, I don't think he ever intended to go to trial. Yeah, and I got that feeling too. And it was kind of like an oh shit moment where I, I've got to actually do this at trial now, right? Mm-hmm. And he. Again, based on the variables we were talking about, caseload, right? I think it's going to plea out. I probably don't have to put as much work into it because right. I'm not going to be in a trial. Well, lo and behold, here you are. Um, I think you have to vet, you know, you have to do a better job or you have to do a good job of vetting which ones you think are going to go to trial. And then you got to keep them at the top of your radar, right? Yeah. And whether or not Coin did that, I, I mean, I can't speak for, again, I don't know what his caseload's like, I don't, especially 25 years ago. I don't know what resources he had. It's, it, it, again, it's hard for me to sit here as a public defender saying another public defender didn't, you know, could have done better at their job, not knowing what circumstances they're really working under. But it, it, it's easy to go, it's easy to, you know, hindsight, right? 
well, these are questions you, sh- you could have asked, mm-hmm. right? Or should, but I would have put a lot more emphasis on simple things that, you know, and maybe he did. And again, I haven't read all the transcript. Uh, you didn't find a murder weapon. You know, the uh, nephew to the victim says that there wasn't like a quote unquote set. There was a whole bunch of random knives, if that's what you consider a set. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, that's, I think that's something that the prosecutor got away with. There was a set of knives. And there was one missing. Well, there wasn't really a set of knives. There were a whole bunch of random knives. Mm-hmm. And the nephew said that none of them were really missing that he could recall. Right. Okay, so where's the murder weapon? You know, you spent three days investigating it before my client is sitting here on a confession based on seven statements until you got what you wanted. That's a huge one, too, that, that he never drove home on. Is, 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 you know, if you truly believe her, con- I would be hammered. And there could have been, I don't know, there may have been. Um, pre-trial rulings, you know, because you know, oftentimes you're, you're, you get handcuffed before the trial right. on what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. But I would have been hammering it. Like, if you're so convinced that her confession is is true, then why did you quit looking for the other two people after three days? Yeah, I, I'm sitting here going, I'm baffled because it's like, well, you're not really, in, again, you know, well, yeah, we got her. You got the lookout, quote unquote, right? Who's right. Spending, you know, her life in prison on for two other people that you haven't even bothered to lift a finger really looking for, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to I, I hope you find the other neighbor, right? That you know yeah. that that you know, and see what they have to say, right? And then whatever. I'm curious. At, I'm almost convinced there are other interviews and you know work product that you may or may not be entitled to that are out there, right? That are more detailed. I'm sure. And you know, in this case, was very different than the other. The last case I did in Harris County, I was given the DA file, and in the DA file, they turned over every like all the police handwritten notes. Every I had the police report, their handwritten notes, a lot of things to work with, and those are the things that I use. I'm always looking for in my job investigating these cases is are there inconsistencies between what this cop wrote on paper and then what they typed into their report, you know, six months later or whenever they put it into the computer. In this case, like it was just everything was heavily redacted. Half the DA's files redacted. I got no handwritten notes. It to me, it seems like they are for sure try, actively trying to hide what they you know they know there that there was a mistake made here, and they're just they're just they're just trying to not give us enough information to find it. Well, nothing nothing will get you in trouble like the truth, right? right? And it's yeah. you know again you know it's we can turn this on its head, right? You know you're talking earlier about well if they wouldn't talk to us if they didn't have anything to hide. Well, if you don't have anything to hide, why are you redacting your notes? Right. It, it's it, it, you know it's a it, it, what's good for the goose, right? Mm-hmm. If you're you know now if if it's if you're using like I can I can understand if you you have like CIs right that you're yeah. heavily you know in redacting their information and stuff like that. I can understand that, right? But if the, if it's the raw data, you know the raw data that the that the quote unquote official report is based on, uh-huh. right? Do they match? And if they don't, why don't they? Right. I would like to. And I that like is that one answer. that in like it would take an in camera review to find out what's there because in Texas the prosecutor's work product is redactable. Like they do not have to turn over their work product. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The investigating agency's work product is not redacted. They are required to turn that over. So you can file, you can specifically file, I want all handwritten notes on this case, and they have to turn them over. In this case, we don't know what they have. So from the police department, they don't maintain anything like that. They only maintain the the digital, you know, printed out, you know, 85 page or whatever, 87 page document that we have. But the the DA would have, and they had, because I know how they run their system, their their files. I've worked in Harris County before. Well, having the DA's file, those handwritten notes from the officers that are um, producible, they're supposed to produce those. And it's like, I just assume that those 40 pages that are completely blacked out are probably the work product from the, uh, from the officers, or they didn't even put them in because I've seen that too. When I went in, I was lucky enough with the Melgar case uh, from season six to actually go into the DA's office and go through manually, go through the boxes of files and saw what was in there. And in that case, the prosecutor at that time later, she turned out not to like me so much. Um, shocker. Yeah. <laughs> but at the beginning of it, she was so excited for, I, I think for the publicity, she came down. My man's like, Oh yeah, you know what? Just give him whatever he wants. Give him all the work product, everything. I had her work product. I had all the, she regretted it later. Yeah, of course uh, she did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, gave, she turned it, turned all that stuff. Attorney, over. attorneys guard work product, like the Holy grail. Right. And as they should, yeah. uh, regardless of what, you know, because it's, because then you're getting into well, we're going to start using what the attorney is thinking as evidence. And then it's mm-hmm. like no, that it turns into a you know, bowl of mush and you're asking the, the jury to separate what my thought is on a case versus uh-huh. what the actual evidence is. Right. Yeah. It's, and yeah. I never expect attorneys to turn over their work product. I know that like, I know they don't have to, nor should they, but to me, like there's, they, they absolutely should turn over. Like what did the, what did the detective write down while he was doing this interview? And then compare that to what's written in the official record. Because in this in this case, like I'm, I'm convinced in the Jeff Lee case that uh, it, it, Alan certainly has his has his flaws, and I and I hundred percent believe that he not only suggested but also coerced that confession. But it, but that's a man of perspective too, right? Because there's people that would look at him like he did a fabulous job of convincing her to confess. From my perspective, he manipulated and coerced to her. her into a false confession. And, and he's got a track record for doing that too. But Swainson is the one throughout the report. Like I was find instance after instance, like I'm convinced that that dude was just an absolute dirty cop and was just, and it was just lying, just straight up lying. Now is Swainson still, work, is he still working, retired? What? He's retired. Okay. Yeah. And Alan, Alan, I think is deceased. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, and uh, as, as I mentioned in our, our upcoming season we're working on right now, we'll get a little more informa- information on, these detectives and I was, I'll say this when I found out what one of them did in this next case, wasn't shocked at all. Wasn't, wasn't, didn't surprise me one bit. This is your shocked face. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But you know, I I can see when we were talking about coin, maybe not, not being prepared, not thinking that he was going to trial. 
you know, he did have some pretty good indicators that that was going to be the case. I mean, he had, like I said, he, he comes into a case with a confession. He's not, a, he doesn't have an investigator. He's not investigating. He can't do what, you know, spend months doing what we did and figuring out the elements of the confession that don't add up. He didn't have access to anybody's witness statements to see that the, that where the conflicts even existed. And th- then once even they decide, okay, well, no, we're going to go to trial. Then if you look at all the pretrial stuff, all he's trying to do is file motions to get the confession thrown out. So. I have to believe that he probably that he probably thought that would work. You know, if it's you know, it's like somewhere somehow there's no way this can go to trial, and it's like, nope, we're keeping the confession in. You don't get the statements; they're not going to plead out. You're going to trial, and then well, again, it's it, one of the things that you know, and I've been thinking about it for a few days, right? How do you, how would I if I was in coins, but how would I try to get the confession out, right? Uh-huh. And you so. Just to kind of give, just as an, an example, again, not as an, a serious example, but an example. So, you know, I, ha- I think the why is always more important. It's, it, I think it's critical. Not that you can necessarily use it directly in trial, right? Uh-huh. But it's, it, it can help you, it can help as a guide into what a, you know, particular witness is doing. So, for example, I had a, I had a case, again, it was a, it was an aggravated assault. We had a uh, self defense claim. We ended up winning. Prior to trial, I had, you know, I was, I was wondering why is this complainant so hell bent on going after this guy when he was clearly also at fault. Uh-huh. So I had my investigator on a background, right? He's got bankruptcies, liens, right? All sorts of financial problems. And I'm like, that's probably it. He wants a conviction here because he's going to turn around and go sue him in civil court, right? So then you go, so let's go to the Jeffley case, right? Why, why was, why was Catalina killed? Right. And I, I posted, I posted my, you know, my theory based, I, I think it really had to do with something, you know, Eva, somebody even knew, right. Or, and, or was working with or under, or had control over, you know, th- there was something going on at that apartment where somebody was profiting and Catalina was causing, posing a threat to it. Make mm-hmm. what you will of that. Again, I'm not passing judgment on being a sex worker or stripper or whatever. But the, again, the, the, we, we, you know, it's coming back later towards the season. Why did she leave so hastily and leave everything behind except, right. you know, her clothes? I would be like, I would be curious about that, you know, and did mm-hmm. Coyne know that information? Did he have the opportunity to look into it? If not for, through an investigator, at least try to, you know, try to do it. I'm not saying he's going to be perfect. I mean, we're lawyers, right? We're not, right. we're not investigators, but you at least have to have some intellectual curiosity, right? And I think I've learned um, through like chief investigator we have in my office, I've learned so much from him, right? About mm-hmm. how to be an investigator. Not that I'm ever going to be at his level, but you know, what questions to ask and what to look at. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think Coin maybe had enough time to look at the why. Why was she, in fact, killed? Jen didn't really have, at least from what I can see, any. She was there two days. Right. What, you know, and if, you know, the, you know, the profiler you had on, it was obviously, from my mind, looking at everything, it was, you know, a per, you know, personal cause or, yeah, or personal, personal cause. cause homicide, right? Jen has none of that, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I'm Coin. And again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So it's you know I think I, I can almost guarantee as pro- just kind of like as a sidebar, public defenders will always go back, even if you've won. We will mm-hmm. always go back and go, man, I should have done this. I could have done this, but I guarantee you, he's doing the same thing or has done the same thing mm-hmm. about that case, right? You know, so it's I, I don't think Coin spent enough time in the why, but he's in this per- he's in this precarious position, like we said. My client lied, but now I have to convince you that she lied because. Whatever the you know whatever your reasoning is, mm-hmm. right? And that uh, that's a tough spot to be in. Right. But he didn't have enough. He was he was more concerned about. Well, I'm trying to keep my client's ass out of prison for you know felony murder. 
And I don't know exactly how to go about doing that. I don't have enough time to figure out the why of why the victim, you know, and this kind of yeah. goes back to the victimology well, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's, in, in this case, that's, that's a huge mistake. It's, it's one of the most important parts of any, especially homicide is to figure out the victimology, the why, why did this happen? And the police didn't, you know, the, the, the police took, you know, from my perspective, in my opinion on the case, the police took the fact that her keys were missing and tried to build a why around those keys. Oh, well, they were must, they were stealing her car. And for me, like the same thing Jim said, I was like, dumbass, the car's still right there. They weren't stealing the car. The car's there. And if you really want to get that, and I think you mentioned this before, do a stakeout and wait for him to come back. Yeah. If that's, if that's in fact what the motive is. Yeah. Right? Instead, they just, they have the, the nephew move the car. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's, yeah, they, they never, they never looked at the why, but that's a, it's a, it's a good thought, like from a, a defense attorney's perspective, like how you could have approached this case, you know, in hindsight, of course, is to be able to say, you know, to, to, to present to the jury anyway, is the why. Well, it's like motive, motive is not an element of any crime, right? right. No, you don't have to have a re, you know, it's like, you don't look through like model jury instructions for, um, you know, domestic violence. Oh, just, you know, use it as a common example. I could just be an asshole, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's say I'm a common defendant. I just like beating women, right? I don't have to have a motive, right? But did mm-hmm. I, you know, was I in a relationship with somebody and did I hit on, and this is an oversimplification, but. Yeah. If I met those two elements, for example, then yeah, I'm guilty of domestic violence. It doesn't matter why. But then when you get into a murder, you know, unless you're a, you know, sociopath or, you know, a criminal of, you know, a criminal who takes advantage of opportunity, like, and I, we've kind of talked about it, you know, in this, you know, this past season, you always have, there's a reason. You don't just mm-hmm. go out and randomly kill people. Again, right. unless you're Ted Bundy or whatever, you know, yeah. insert serial killer here. Um, there's always a why. And like, what random crime, right, of opportunity presents itself at 9 a.m. with a woman living in an apartment, let alone yeah. a 15-year-old lookout, quote-unquote, who's been at the apartment of upstairs for two days because she was having a fight with her mom, and it's like, oh, I'm just going to – this is a good time to get involved with felony homicide or yeah. felony murder, right? It's like, dude, just uh, just exercise it's – in, it's intellectual laziness, and like, it drives me fucking crazy, right? And I see it all the time. Where I'm working, right? And again, I'm not anti police. Like I, I've got family law enforcement. I'm pro police. We need, you know, we have, we are a nation. We're supposed to be a nation of laws, mm-hmm. right? That we all agree on. You know, don't rape, don't kill, don't steal, right? And those, you know, we can kind of work from there, mm-hmm. right? But make sure, especially when when the penalty is so severe for those, right? And you're going to take a 15 year old girl's life, right, and spend it in rest in prison when she wasn't. You know, you're not even you know, challenging the fact that she was not the one that plunged the knife or did whatever. Right. And you're going to take her away because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you'd spent three days looking for the other two people who actually did it. And now the case is closed. Well done. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if you can, yeah. you know, Kate, you know, let's onto the Hoffa case now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, if, if that's what good police work is to you, you need to retire like today. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Uh, this, this has been awesome and really intriguing. I want to, I want to leave you with an opportunity to give any, any closing thoughts on what do you think as someone who's, so you're, you're a couple of years into really full fledged working in the system right now. You've, you've seen and identified obviously some flaws from, from working in it. What do you think next steps could be to, to improve our criminal justice system, to make things better, to make things more fair? Uh, and I, I didn't prep you for this at all, so you didn't know. No, it's, it's okay. Spot. And, 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 if, and if you have any thoughts on what can me 
what what can I and the and the people listening the the private citizens do to help fix it? So I'll answer. I'll start with the second question first. So every I, I think the biggest thing is educate yourself on what your rights are and what the rights of others are. Right? If you're picked for a jury, right, or if somebody's accused of doing something, right, automatically presume they're innocent, right? Until and if they're guilty, it shouldn't be hard to prove that they're guilty, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, having to stretch the truth and go over hurdles to make it look like somebody's guilty. I think that, you know, I, I think education is the biggest thing, right? And just mm-hmm. understand that, you know, and put your also try to be empathetic, right? You can be, you know, you can be middle class, regardless, you know, white, black, whatever. Middle class, you, you, you work, you do your own thing, right? Don't look at somebody that's below you as automatically being a criminal, right? There are people mm-hmm. who are struggling out there based on the circumstances they find themselves in. Whether it's, and you can insert whatever argument, whether you think it's, you know, racial injustice or, you know, people who just haven't had, you know, they've just gotten a shit hand dealt with them at life and they're trying to dig their way out, right? Just be respectful of everybody. In terms of, you know, and then if you're picked on a jury, right, go in with those principles in mind. You got to look at every defense. If that was me, would I want everybody to think I didn't do it until somebody proved that I did it? The answer should be yes. If not, North Korea would love to have you. Go ahead. To the other part of the question, in terms of changing the system, it's going to take a long time, right? Again, I think Michigan has done an excellent job of balancing the scales, right? And it's, you know, lady justice, equal scales, right? They're arming, you know, public defender's offices with investigators, right? Social workers, things like, you know, because again, we deal a lot, are a lot of our clients guilty of something? Absolutely, right? And, but they're arming us with like the social workers are huge because a lot of them, a lot of it's mental ill again, another thing we didn't really get into, and I wish we had is mental illness, right? I've got clients who have schizophrenia and who are committing petty crimes just to feed themselves and things like that. It's gonna take a long time to get prosecuted. so the prosecutors need to start changing the way they look at the law. Like, you know, that you had a prosecutor who said, My job is to win when I get in there. Mm-hmm. No, your job is to find out who actually killed X, Y, or Z or raped X, Y, or Z. It's it's an attitude change. It has to it can't be baseball. Stop looking at it as baseball. It's who, because these are actual, these are actual people with actual lives. Whether or not they're, you know, great lives or not, doesn't matter. It's their life. And it's going to take time to change the culture and actually make them work to prove innocence or to prove guilt as opposed to us proving innocence. And that's kind of where the system has been turned upside down. Yeah, I, I would love to see, you know, I think a good step forward with that would be to, if we could find some way to stop incentivizing the win rates, you know, for, right. because they, you know, a lot of the prosecutors, because I, I know some prosecutors and they're good, good people, but at the same time, I also know that if they want to advance in their career, you don't do that without winning. And so I can see how that baseball attitude creeps in. So there's, there's gotta be a way at some point to try to correct that. But I, I really appreciate what you do. And along with all public defenders, I appreciate you coming in here. Uh, I think it's 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 really admirable, and I wish you all the best of luck, and hope you can you can help as many clients as possible as as we move forward. It's it's good to, it's good to talk to a public defender and hear the perspective that you have and the fact that you really do care about your clients as much as you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we just got to keep fighting the fight. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondering. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. 
All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth, and Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.